In the great Christmas hymn that we sing, there's a, a phrase in there that kind of arrested my attention this past week. You remember the lyrics, they go like this, we three kings of Orient are, bearing gifts we traverse afar, Field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. Now here's the words, O star of wonder, star of night. As I was reading that, that one little word, wonder, kind of just jumped off the page. Wonder. It's a beautiful word, but it's a word as you get older, you kind of lose it. We kind of get burned with the, the busyness of life. Christmas becomes, you know, let's get this gift and let's get that gift and let's do everything we can to make Christmas wonderful. The word wonder is defined as a feeling of surprise mingled with admiration, caused by something beautiful, unexpected, unfamiliar, or inexplicable. A desire to be curious, to know something. When's the last time you were surprised or had spontaneous joy for something beautiful? If you live long enough, this world will cause you to lose your sense of, of wonder. Uh, when you were a kid, you looked at something and, man, that's just amazing. You just have this sense of wonder. But as you get older, the amazing kind of gets monotonous. And it just gets repeated over and over and over again. And you just lose your sense of wonder. Do I have a witness? Is there anybody here today that can say, you know, I've kind of lost my wonder. I've been hurt. I've been bruised. I'm angry about something. Where's the wonder? This life just pushes wonder out of our thinking. Well, I want to talk to you today if you've lost your sense of wonder. A lot of times you can lose your sense of wonder because you're, you're critical. You're criticizing other people for their faults. You find the negative in someone else and that's not the way the Lord wants us to be. And because we're replacing the good things with the negative things, that sense of wonder tends to get kicked out and replaced. Well, today's text is a verse of scripture that is absolutely filled with wonder. It's a short text, John 1.14. Let's read it together. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what we want to know today. Jesus Christ fills us with wonder when other things don't. We're looking for that wonderful Christmas gift that we can either receive or give to someone else. And what that does is it takes us off of the wonder of Jesus Christ. When's the last time you wondered about Jesus? When's the last time you got to the place where you so wondered about Jesus, you were amazed. You were surprised, reminded of his glory. What happens is the busyness of the season pushes out the wonder of Jesus. And we're looking for something that only he can provide. Jesus is wonderful. So today we're going to look at three points uh, to answer this question. What about Jesus Christ fills us with wonder? The first is this. The wonder that he is God. Now we just kind of go over this and say, oh, I've taught that as a kid. And I, I've heard this in Sunday school for so many years. But, but let's just stop here a second. In order to wonder, you've got to concentrate. In order to wonder, you've got to think about it over and over again. That way the, the truth gets unraveled. The present gets opened. Notice what verse 14 says. The word became flesh. Let's, let's just look at that word, word, W-O-R-D. Literally, it means self-expression. If I was going to describe you to somebody else, 
I can maybe come close, but I could never describe to you how you could describe yourself to somebody else. So what God chooses to do, instead of us giving an opinion about God, God says, I'm going to tell you about myself. I'm going to give you a word about myself. The whole Old Testament pointed to Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of the word that's been given in the Old Testament. But we also see in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. So when we look at this word, Word, we see a couple of wonderful truths about Jesus Christ. Number one, there was not a time that He did not exist. He always existed, even before we celebrate what we call Christmas. As part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit... Jesus always existed. The Word always existed. He was there as the agent of creation. He saw with the Word this whole world come into being. And He sustains it, Paul tells us in Colossians. He's not only involved in the creation of it, He sustains it. He's above it. He's the creator of time. When we take a step back and we look at the Word, we should be filled with wonder. We forget all that we're dealing with here. We forget about the creator of the heavens and the earth. His name is Jesus, the Word. We also see the Word became flesh. Excuse me. Trying my best. The Word became flesh. Now, once you think about this, the Jesus that existed before Christmas, before he came in the form of a baby, came in the flesh. In other words, He became a human being. The God who made everything decided that the best thing for us, for him to know us, came in the form of a human being. He limited himself, Philippians 2 says, to come in the form of a flesh of a human being. Now, this is a challenge intellectually to many folks. They reject Christianity for this reason. This is impossible. Why would God do that? It's a whole lot easier to come up with a bunch of principles or teaching. But that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that this incredible God, part of the Trinity, who's there at creation and sustained this world, sustains this world, condescended and came in human form. The creator of the human form entered the human form for you and for me. And we we tend to get, oh, I I just want to open a present, and then I'll be filled with wonder. Or I'll just have a Christmas party, then I'll be filled with wonder. God became flesh for us. For a reason. And we just jump past that. I love this. Look on your outline, the little notes there. The old Latin line on the subject quoted by Gomorrah is worth remembering. It represents the word made flesh, saying, I am What I was, that is God. I was not what I am, that is man. I am now called both, that is both God and man. Now what we're saying here is that Jesus Christ, God, became man and didn't lose either of those two attributes while he walked on this earth. He was 100% God, 100% man. There's all kinds of heresies that says, no, he's more God than man or more man than God. But what we're saying here is we wonder about this amazing truth that he's 100% God and 100% man in Jesus Christ. The other day we had some Jehovah's Witnesses come up to the house. Isn't that a wonderful experience? They come up to the house and I got in a conversation with them in the driveway. 
and we were talking about the things of God and they were very adamant that Jesus was created. And I said, no, he always existed. He always has existed. Don't belittle Jesus like that. And I turned to him and said, whether you know it or not, Jesus is what you're looking for. And he's far bigger, far greater, far more wonderful than you're thinking. Don't limit him to what you're thinking. But notice what else it says in this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now, the word dwelling there in Greek is interesting. It means to tabernacle, to pitch a tent. And it refers back to the Old Testament. When Moses had a tent of meeting or the children of Israel went from place to place in a tabernacle. It's called the meeting place. A place where you could meet with God and through a sacrificial system have your sins atoned for. Later it was the temple. You have Moses. He was at the tent of meeting followed by the tabernacle followed by the temple. All the same thing. It's the meeting place where you can come to meet with God. So if you put this whole phrase together, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, here's what we see. This God who created the heavens and the earth, who sustains everything, took on human form and visited earth. Just like the tabernacle existed, he existed among us. Now it's a hard heart that just says, you know, so what? So what? Men have tried to capture this truth for years. It's, it's so supernatural, our natural minds can't conceive it. What kind of God would do that? A God that loves us. Soren Kierkegaard was a great Scott, uh, philosopher many, many years ago, and he wrote an, an Advent parable to try to explain this truth. He said, once upon a time, there was a prince who was single and very eager to marry a lovely maiden as his future queen. Nearest palace was a large city, and he often rode his carriage down to the city to take care of various chores for his father. One day, to reach a particular merchant, he had to go through a rather poor section, and he happened to glance out the window and right into the eyes of a beautiful maiden. He had occasion in the next few days to return to the section of the city, drawn as he was by the eyes of the maiden. And more than that, he had the good fortune once or twice to actually meet this young girl. Soon he began to feel that he was in love with her, but now he had a problem. How should he proceed to procure her hand? Of course, he could order her to the palace and there propose marriage, but even a prince would like to feel that the girl he marries wants to marry him. Or perhaps someone more graciously, he could arrive at her door in his most resplendent uniform and with a bow ask her hand, but even a prince wants to marry for love. Again, he could masquerade as a peasant and try to gain her interest. After he proposed, he could pull off his mask. Still, the masquerade would be phony. He could really not manage it. Finally, a real solution presented itself to his mind. Watch this. He would give up his kingly role and move into her neighborhood. And there he would take up work as, say, a carpenter. And during his work in the day and during his time off in the evening, he would get acquainted with the people, beginning to share his interests and concerns and their interests and concerns. And he began to talk their language. And in due time, should fortune be with him, he would make her acquaintance in a natural way, and she should come to love him as he had already come to love her. Then he would ask for her hand. And friends, that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. He came in the flesh, dwelt among us, so that we might love him and that he might love us. Do you know you're loved? 
that one of the most wonderful things you can meditate on is this simple truth. Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. Everybody just say this after me so I know you're awake. Jesus loves me. Go ahead. It's the beginning of wonder. You didn't initiate this. God initiated the love relationship with us that he wanted by coming to earth with us. He gave his all. I saw this little comic strip illustration. Charlie Brown was talking to to Lucy. And Charlie Brown says, look, I've got $9.11 to spend on Christmas gifts this year. And Lucy's not impressed. And she says, Charlie Brown, you can't buy anything for $9.11. Charlie Brown says, oh, yes, I am. I'm going to try. And Lucy says, man, those are going to be some cheap Christmas presents. And Charlie Brown says, with absolute conviction, yeah, but nothing is cheap if it costs you all that you got. Nothing is cheap if it costs you all you got. And that's how much God loves us. It costs Jesus everything. So you're loved. Just remember what he's done for you. Secondly, point number two, the wonder of his glory. The wonder of his glory. Verse 14, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. Now, John is writing this and he's trying to describe Jesus for us. He says, look, Jesus walked among us. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. And he demonstrated his love for us. And notice how he describes him. He was glorious. A lot of people try to describe Jesus these days. He's a good teacher. He's a good man. But John chooses his words wisely. He says, oh, wait. We have seen his glory. The word glory is a wonderful, beautiful word in the Bible. It means to revere to give ultimate praise to, weightiness. And John says, we have seen his glory. Now, some people think this might have been Matthew 17, where John, Peter, and James were on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Jesus was transfigured before them, and they saw that he turned as white as, as white could be, pure white. And they just kind of said, Lord, let's build some tabernacles up here. This is amazing. We see your glory. A lot of us haven't seen the glory of God in a long time. We're so preoccupied with the things of this world, the hurts of this world, the blessings of this world, that we haven't paused in a long time to see the glory of Jesus. And where there's no wonder, it's because there's no glory. When is the last time you stopped and said to yourself, man, Jesus is filled with glory. Glory to God in the highest. The psalmist in Psalm 19, the heavens declare your glory, O Lord. When you lose the glory of God, you lose the wonder. When's the last time you thanked him for his glory? Then the wonder follows. I notice in your notes the little outline there. Jesus is the son of God, not in the sense of being created or born, but in the sense of being a son who is exactly like his father in all attributes. He's one of a kind. He's unique. Notice what it says. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. The reason Jesus is glorious is he's unique. He's the one and only. He's different from us. A theologian said it like this. He was uniquely born. He was unique in his person. No other person was God the Son or God and and a man in the same body. He was unique in his life. He was sinless. 
He was unique in his death. He did nothing and he went to his cross. And he was unique in the resurrection. Nobody else rose from the dead before Christ. He is totally and wonderfully unique and different. We forget and we lose the wonder about God because we, we think he's just like us. We're talking to the old man in the sky or whatever we say. Jesus is unique. I mean, have we already discussed that? He came in the flesh from heaven to earth. Tabernacle dwelt among us. And John says, and man, when he was here, glorious. Absolutely glorious. Words can't even describe it. How can you describe it? I want you to think about this. Every Christmas I try to read this little uh, story called One Solitary Life that describes the impact of this glorious Jesus on this earth. He was born in an obscure village, the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another village where he worked as a carpenter in a carpenter shop until he was 30. Then for three years he was an itinerant preacher. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never had a family or owned a home. He didn't go to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things that usually accompany greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33 when the tide of public opinion turned against him. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While he was dying, his executioners gambled for his garments, the only property he had on this earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. And watch this. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today he is still the central figure of the human race. All the armies that ever marched, all the navies that ever sailed, all the parliaments that ever sat, all the kings that ever reigned put together have not affected the life of man on this earth as much as this one solitary life. One man, glorious, in that one-third of this globe's population says they now follow him. No wonder. Luke 2.14 says, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. Jesus himself said in John 17, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Glory. Do you know what we're going to see when we die and go to heaven? Glory. But we don't have to wait until we die and go to heaven. We too can now proclaim because of what Christ has done and the spirit of God in our hearts. Glory to God in the highest. We get the privilege and the, and the ultimate honor of giving him praise here on this earth now. When's the last time you gave him glory? If you don't give him glory, you're not going to have a sense of wonder. Because the world can never counterfeit the glory of God. Lastly, point number three. The wonder of his goodness. Look what it says in verse 14. Who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. I mentioned before the Jehovah's Witnesses, that little phrase, who came from the Father. They'll use that to kind of show you that Jesus was created. He's not part of the Trinity. But the word came there literally means... Descended from. Doesn't mean created by. Philippians 2 tells us the kenosis passage, he came from heaven. Same concept. Jesus was never created. He was always eternal. We tend to limit him in our thinking. How how can you limit glory? It's a choice that you might want to make. 
but it's not, not a choice that truth allows. Notice the second part of this. He came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Everybody look up here. These are the two characteristics that John wanted us to know about Jesus. The reason he's glorified, he's filled with grace and truth. Grace and truth. He is the embodiment of grace. He is the embodiment of truth. Everywhere he went, he showed grace. John, we see the woman who's at the well, who's had a series of bad relationships, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce, marriage, divorce. She's living with a guy. Jesus doesn't go to her condescendingly. He speaks truth to her. The husband, the man you're now with isn't even your husband. And he, he brings her to him because he's gracious. He's kind. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. He's a God of sheer, utter goodness. And that goodness is demonstrated in his love for sinners. He took on flesh, came down here, dwelt among us to let you know, I am glorious and I am good and I love you. If you've stopped wondering about Jesus, you've forgotten about his goodness. You've forgotten about his grace, his unmerited favor, his chasing after you. His desire to love you more than you desire to love him. And when you forgot that he loves you, you're going to stop praising and you're going to stop giving him glory. And you're going to stop wondering and you're going to retreat back into a ritualistic, legalistic system. And you're going to miss out on the wonder of who he is. And this whole Christmas season is going to be activity after activity after activity without the wonder. Don't forget the reason for the season. He is wonderful. Give him glory for his grace. He's also the truth. There are a lot of counterfeit spokespeople out there for false truth. And their numbers are myriad and we get to chase them all the time if we want to. This will make me happy. This will make me happy. This will make me happy. If I just follow this, then my heart will be filled. I just need this and then I'll be happy. Kids say, you know what? If I just get this for Christmas, everything's going to be good. All of us have this in our heart. We're yearning for something. Proverbs says it's unfailing love. What a man or woman desires more than anything else is unfailing love. If I just get that, then I'll be filled. But don't you see what your heart needs and wants more than anything else? His name is Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. He's consistent. He has a source of supply for the weary soul, for the dry heart. Love him. Give him glory. He is the giver of grace and truth. I'll close with a story. I was listening to a sermon this week, and the, the preacher was talking about how people die well. <laughs> My kids tell me, Dad, you talk about death too much. I don't mean to, you know, but it's a fact of life. Every one of us in this room is going to die one day. So be prepared. But even in death, there's a hope that we have. The preacher was telling the story of Anne Boleyn. Does anybody remember this? Anne Boleyn, she was the second wife of Henry VIII. Henry was not a very good husband, had three of his six wives beheaded. And he was doing it for very selfish reasons, of course. 
History says it's because she wouldn't have a male heir. There was accusations that were made, and she didn't meet his standards, so he decided to have her beheaded. But those that kind of looked into the story a little bit unearthed a very unusual thing in her life. Anne Boleyn became a born-again believer. She became a Christian. If you know the story of William Tyndale, he uh, wrote the English Bible, and she apparently got a hold of that copy of the Scriptures. And she read about a God that became flesh and dwelt among us. And she read about the glory of Jesus Christ. And she read about his grace and the truth that was spoken. She gave her heart to Jesus. The preacher said, I don't know if it's true or not, the preacher said, there are rumors out there that when she went to get beheaded, she had a copy of the Holy Scriptures in her midst that she took with her. She leaned all of her weight on this glorious, amazing gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, before she was beheaded, she said these words, Lord Jesus, I commit my soul to you. You shed your precious blood on the cross on my behalf. And then she was gone. She, going to her deathbed, was filled with a sense of wonder. Wonder. When's the last time you wondered? When is the last time you expressed wonder in giving glory to God? O Lord, my God, the psalmist said, the hymn writer said, when I in awesome wonder consider all the works thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the mighty thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art, how great thou art. If you're filled with wonder, you're going to sing, how great thou art. So, this Christmas season, are you filled with wonder about Jesus? I love this quote by D.L. Moody, and I'm finished after this, I promise. Here's what he said. After he got saved, I remember the morning on which I came out of my room after I first trusted Christ. I thought the old sun shone a good deal brighter than it ever had before. As I walked out upon the Boston Common and heard the birds singing in the trees, I thought they were singing a new song to me. It seemed to me that I was so in love with all of creation because he was in love with the Creator. What's the wonder of Christmas? His name is Jesus. Be filled with wonder so that you can give him glory. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, you are a good and holy God. Lord, we humble ourselves before you today. Father, we're not here by accident. We're here at your sovereign calling. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that you'll put in their hearts the wonder of Jesus. Jesus is gently calling all of us to him. Your word tells us that if we'll believe in our heart that you raised him from the dead and we'll confess our, with our mouths that Jesus is Lord, we'll be saved. So I pray today that somebody will hear those words and the Spirit of God will bring them to repentance and faith in thee. Father, I pray all of us, as we leave this place, will take time to thank you and give you glory for Jesus coming to this earth, dwelling among us, demonstrating grace and truth and all of your goodness. 
that we might give you glory. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If God has spoken to your heart through this message, I'll be here at the front. You come. Let's all stand together. We'll sing.